there was these huge crowds that had gathered to sort of hear Jesus and to see what he would do next. And, and we're told in John 6 that there were about 5,000 men, and they just counted the men, so there were women and children besides that. And so there could have been 10,000, 15,000, we don't know. There was a, a crowd of thousands upon thousands of people listening to Jesus as he taught and looking and wondering what he would do next. And after a full day of, of teaching and listening to the teaching of Jesus, and it's when I read verses like that, I realize, um, you know, we have sort of the red letters in the Bible and all the things that Jesus said. And he taught for days on end for three years. We just have this tiny slice. Now, it's an important slice, but we just have this tiny slice of all the things that Jesus taught. And it just struck me now how amazing it would be there for a whole day just listening to Jesus, to Jesus speak. But anyway, Jesus is speaking all this time for this full day, and he knew that people were getting hungry, and so he turns to his disciples and he asks them, what are all these people going to do for food? There's 15,000 people here. How are we going to feed them? And one of his disciples, Philip, he told Jesus, he said, even, even if they had the wages of eight months of work, it wouldn't be enough to buy bread for everyone to even have a bite. And so from Philip's perspective, this this wasn't their problem. It's like all these people came. This is not for us to solve, right? And if it was our problem, there wasn't anything they could do about it. But then there's this other disciple, Andrew. And he'd been scanning the crowd, and he told Jesus that there was a boy in the crowd that had five loaves of bread and two small fish. Now, I, I don't know at this point. The Scripture doesn't tell us. I can't imagine whether Andrew thought that this was hopeful news. Right? Or maybe he was just highlighting how hopeless the situation was. He's like, I've looked around, and all we have is this one kid with five loaves and two fish. Or maybe Andrew was thinking the boy would need protection, because he's the only one who thought to bring lunch. I don't know what Andrew was thinking. But Jesus doesn't disappoint his disciples. He takes this boy's lunch, and he feeds the entire crowd. And the Bible tells us that even after everyone had their fill, there was still plenty of food left over. And after dinner, the crowd decides to camp out for the night so that they can be with Jesus the next day. They seem to be really committed fans of Jesus. They want to be there with Him. They're not leaving Him. But the next morning, they wake up as the John unpacks the story here for us, and they're hungry again, and they're ready for breakfast. And they look around, but Jesus has left. He's nowhere to be found. And they find out that he and his disciples actually crossed over to the other side of the lake. And so instead of going home, they, they actually follow Jesus. They think, well, you know, he did it yesterday. He'll do it again. We're going we're gonna to travel around the edge of the lake and we're going to go and catch up with him. And so, you know, you're reading that and you're inspired. You're thinking, these people really want to follow Jesus. They're, they're, you know, they're pursuing after Jesus because they want to be with him. But by the time they catch up to Jesus, they're starving and they've missed their chance for breakfast and they're, they're ready to find out what's for lunch. And Jesus decides at this point that he needs to see where these people's hearts are really at. And as we started the series, this is the, uh, the, the DTR talk, you know, discovering what the relationship is really about. And he's not handing out any more free lunch. And in verses 26 to 27, he says to the crowd, he says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. But Jesus calls them out. He says, you're just here because you're hungry. You're just here because I fed you yesterday. And so Jesus has this DTR talk with the crowd. He, he knows that these people are not going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they're following him, but because they're following the food. They're following what Jesus can offer. 
And so how would they respond when the meal ticket is canceled? When Jesus isn't just delivering to them everything that they think they need in this life. And in verse 35, he changes the conversation and Jesus offers himself instead of bread. And he says, if you're really here, you're here for me. But the question is to the crowd, would that be enough for them? Is Jesus enough? Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So am I going to be enough for you? Or is it going to be what I have to do for you that you really want? And so there's one thing that we learn. And the first thing is, is that when Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you were really hungry for. Because when everything else is in your life, and whether it's Jesus or the world or however you think the whole economy of religion works, when everything else is filling you up in your life, then it's hard to tell what it is you're really hungry for. But when Jesus is all that's left, you quickly decide whether He's the one that you were really hungry for or whether it was the other things that were filling you out. When there's no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. And there's different stories that we could go through. There's different scenarios that would all sound familiar to you, probably in your own life or in your family. But there's some situations of people that have gone from being a fan to being a follower when the other things have been taken away and they've found out whether Jesus is enough for them when He's the only thing on the menu. People who found out what it meant that Jesus was the bread of life. There'd be a guy maybe like Ed, and names have been changed to protect the innocent, of course, but, uh, you know, a guy like Ed, who only became a follower after being fired from his job. You know, he'd been an executive, living an executive lifestyle. He had the company car. He had the house. He had a cottage. He had vacations. You know, he lived a very satisfying life. Maybe not upper class, super upper class, but sort of higher middle class life as we would have here. And it was very satisfying. And he wanted for nothing. All his bills were going to be paid, and he knew how all his bills were going to be paid. But then he's fired, and now suddenly he's not sure how he's going to pay those bills. He's not sure how he's going to make the mortgage payments. And the stress is taking its toll on his marriage and on his health. And for the first time in his life, he's not self-sufficient. And he's got to decide with all these other things taken away that he's not going to make it on his own effort. And he doesn't have all these things of the world to support him. And he only has one place left to go. And all of a sudden in his life, his prayers are not just these sort of repetitive dinner prayers. And it's not just this little devotional at night. But his prayers suddenly get real. Because he needs to talk to Jesus. And he needs Jesus to hear because he's really in need. And he's desperate and he turns to God in a way that he never would have if he hadn't lost his job. If all the other things on the menu hadn't been taken off the menu, he never would have turned to God in this way. But now God is the only thing left on the menu. Jesus is the only thing he has left. And it was easy for him to be just a fan of Jesus when everything else was taking care of him. But when the crunch came, he had to decide whether Jesus was really all that he needed. And whether Jesus was what he was going to put first in his life and where he was going to turn. And so he had to decide if Jesus was really what he needed more than all the other things that he had in his life. And now, Ed becomes a follower. Or you have a situation like Kathy, who's maybe married for a long time. She's married 20, 25 years. And, and uh, you know, she's gone to the same church since she was a little girl. And her married life she thought was pretty good. And she loved her kids. And they took holidays together. 
together and she took them to soccer practice and they had music lessons and there were graduations and there was success and she was just so fulfilled by her family life. And it included everything, her whole life, her kids, her marriage, and church too, a little bit of church too, it was on the menu as well. But then suddenly, it seemed to her suddenly, her husband decided he wanted to be single. And her perfect life was no longer on the menu. And for the first time, this lifelong churchgoer begins to see how the Bible speaks directly to her. And each weekend, she feels like God is speaking right to her. And she decides to listen. And finally, in her loneliness and in her bitterness and in her anger in what has happened, she hears the message of Jesus and decides that He's enough. That that's where her life needs to be. He's all that's left on the menu and He's enough. And there's lots of stories that I could go through. Lots of examples and scenarios, like I say, that will be familiar to you or people that you know. A daughter is diagnosed with cancer, or parents are getting divorced, or the addiction seems unbeatable, or there's a future that seems overwhelming, or relationships that fall apart. Something happens, and our lunch gets taken away. Something happens in our life, and we don't have that thing that was feeding us and keeping us satisfied without Jesus. And all of a sudden, we have to decide whether we were really satisfied and we were really happy because we were just getting our lunch, whatever that lunch was for us. And Jesus isn't going to let you go through your whole life just being satisfied in lunch. He's going to have that DTR moment with you where you have to define the relationship. And so sometimes He just ends the lunch. He takes the meal ticket away. Because He knows that none of those things will ultimately save us. And He knows that in those moments when our lunch is taken away, those are the times when Jesus is all that's left on the menu and we have a chance to find out whether He is what really satisfies us. Whether we prefer Jesus over everything else. And while I was on that cruise, let me tell you, there was lots of lunch. You could have lunch any time of day. They had food 24-7. You could go to the buffet. You could go to the Chinese restaurant. You could go to the Cagney Steakhouse. You could go to the Liberty Lounge. You could go to the Manhattan Skyline. You could go to the diner. You could go anywhere on the boat and there was food any time of day, any time you wanted it, in excess. More food than you could possibly imagine. And it's hard enough to live comfortably in Canada and, and sort of deal with these situations that are going on around the world. Imagine watching the news while you're floating around on a hotel visiting Hawaii. It's hard on your heart to do that, let me tell you. The sacrifices I make for my mother, I tell you. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, like... Like, we have so much given to us in terms of lunch, right? And, and Jesus needs to get our attention like He had to get the attention of this crowd. And sometimes He's got to take that lunch away and really make you wonder whether if He's all that's on the menu, whether He's enough. And so Jesus here to the crowds, He gives them an opportunity to find out in their own heart. He already knows. And He already knows your heart. It's not about you proving something to God or to Jesus. He already knows. He does these things to show you where your heart is at. And so He gives this crowd a chance to decide who it is and to discover for themselves who they really desire. And desire Jesus not because He's Mr. Fix-It in your life. Or not because He's Mr. Provide-It in your life. But because He Himself is the end goal. In verse 27, Jesus tells the crowd, the food that I give you is the food that endures to eternal life, and that food is Me. And so Jesus is the first and only thing that we need, and everything else comes second or third or fourteenth to Him. 
Everything else in our life is supposed to be way behind Jesus. And He's supposed to be first, and we're supposed to be following after Him, not the lunches that He's providing in our life. Moths will eat and rust will destroy. Money, jobs, health, even marriages and family will ultimately not satisfy or save apart from Jesus. And so here in John chapter 6, the crowd has to decide if Jesus is enough. And they are hanging around for the perks. Are they hanging around for the perks? Or is it really about the relationship with Jesus? And when Jesus takes away the benefits, will they be angry? And will they shake their fist at Him like many people do when their lunch is taken away? Right? You know those people where something happens in their life and suddenly they're angry at God. Right? As soon as that meal ticket ends, it's God's fault and they're angry and they're upset with God. Because they weren't really seeking after God. They were seeking after what God could provide them. Or will they recognize that He is what they really need? And do you remember what happened here with these crowds in John 6? The fans turn and go home. And here's what we read at the end of the chapter in verse 66. It says, From this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. This is His wider disciples, not the twelve. From this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. And in the long run, that's what will happen. Scripture tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction. In the end, whether we like it or not, most people just won't accept Christ's invitation. They like the idea of heaven. They like the miracles. They like the bread. They like the idea that Jesus will deliver them a happy life on their terms. But when Jesus tests the relationship and He takes that off the table and offers only Himself, they aren't interested. And how many people do we know like that? How many people do we know, maybe in our own families or at work, in this county, around the world, who have a beef with God and they're angry because He didn't deliver the life they expected they deserved? Or how many times have our own thoughts even gone there? How many times and how many more people just never took an interest in God at all and decided there were too many other things in life that took priority over a relationship with their Creator? And after we read in John 6 that many of His followers had left, Jesus turns to His twelve disciples and He asks in verse 67, He says, You don't want to leave too, do you? Now He's talking to the twelve. He says, What about you guys? Do you guys want to leave with everybody else? And I don't know how he said it. Again, it's just like Andrew and Philip. I, I don't know how the words came out in terms of whether it was frustrated or angry. It's like, do you want to leave? Are you going with them? Or, or maybe it was sad. Maybe it was, you, you don't want to go too, do you? Have I, have I got through to you yet? Do you, is your heart there yet? And my guess, it was a tone of sadness or of expectation because it became clear that so many were following him not because of who he was, but because of what He could offer. He was offering Himself, and people wanted His services. And we need to be careful that we don't try and pass off the Gospel as a means to personal gain in this world. And, and I want to be clear here, yes, the grace and the mercy and the transforming love of God is an immediate blessing to us. We gain in this world by following Jesus. We benefit from being set free from the bondage of sin and having the Holy Spirit enter into our lives and set us free and to conform our minds and our hearts to follow His teaching and doing all the things that, that His Scripture teaches us and His teaching tells us often heals the damage that we have done and keeps us from doing greater harm. So there are lots of benefits from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit and following God for sure. That is all true. But those things flow 
from a genuine relationship with Jesus. They are not the purpose of a relationship with Jesus. You have to get the order the right way around. And we only experience those blessings by seeking Jesus first, confessing our sins, putting an end to our rebellion, and accepting everything that Jesus is. Jesus reveals to these people what is really in their hearts, if He's really first or not. And so He asks His disciples, the men He's grown closest to, whether they're going to leave too, or if they'll stay. Would His most devoted disciples turn out to be fans who weren't willing to stick around when the teaching got tough? Was this group more focused on the crowds Jesus attracted than on His message of life? Would they abandon Jesus? And in verse 68 and 69, we read their response. Good old Peter. He's got the right answer as often as he has the wrong answer. (laughs) Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Right answer. Where else could you go? Even if Jesus is the only thing on the menu. Even if Jesus is the only thing left, where else are you going to go? You're going to go back to that job you got fired from? You're going to go back to that marriage that is broken? You're going to go back to your own wisdom that got you into this mess? How's your life been working out with you for you so far? When you discover who Jesus is and the words of eternal life that He possesses, where else could you go except to Jesus? And just Jesus. He's enough. When you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave Him. And Peter's answer sums it up. To whom shall we go? And that's the one question that seems to ask thousands of questions. Who could lead us like You could? Who could teach us with wisdom like Yours? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Why would we ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to You? What could the world offer that compares to eternal life? We know You are God, so what could possibly come ahead of You? And that's the question we've been asking for the last seven weeks. What can we possibly be putting first in our life ahead of Jesus that can compare? It can't be anything other than Jesus to be anything other than a follower. Fans will bail out on Jesus when His teaching gets difficult. When He asks them to sacrifice. When He asks them to take up their cross. When He asks them to die to themselves. All these things we've been talking about. Setting aside our own pride. and Setting aside our own desires. And laying down our own life for Him and for others. When He asks them to die to themselves, the fans suddenly realize that they really like other things better than Jesus. If this whole church thing is going to be about me dying to myself and putting other people first, about me giving up my Saturdays and my evenings, about me giving up some of my money and maybe my vacation instead to do something for God and for the kingdom or for the neighbor next door, if it means I've got to set my own life down in order to pick up his life, then maybe I'm not interested. But there comes a time, and often more than just once or twice, When Jesus really tests our relationship and He puts us in a place where we are forced to completely face our options. How has our life been working out? Have we really been doing a great job of it? Are we really satisfied with the things that we have pursued first in our life? Are those things really filling and fulfilling our soul? The time comes when we have the option to realize that we really are bankrupt without Jesus. That we really have nothing to offer him or even ourselves. That 
There's nothing in ourselves and there's nothing else apart from Him that meets our need. And when you really get to know Jesus in those times, you really never want to leave Him. And that's when you're really following. And I think if all of us knew Jesus like that every day, if we all had that sense really profoundly and clearly every day, we would live differently. We would serve differently. We would share the good news differently. But here's the problem. Because if we really were like that every day, I think our Christian lives would be so much different. But here's the problem. We don't follow the way we should, so we don't believe the way we want to. Or maybe it's easier the other way around. We don't believe the way we want to because we don't follow the way we should when it comes to following Jesus. I think when it comes to most of us in the room, and maybe even other people outside of this room, and even in maybe people who don't even go to church, but who love Jesus in their way. And when it comes to most of us who have a relationship of some sort with Jesus, we want to believe the way the disciples did. We want to believe the way the Apostle Paul did. We want to have the faith and follow Jesus the way many of the heroes of our faith did. We want to believe more. We crave a deeper faith. We want a more vibrant relationship with Jesus. We want to love Him more. We want to feel His presence more. We really want that in our life. We crave it. But we don't believe to the degree that we want to because we don't follow the way that we should. And that's what this series has been all about. What it means to follow. Faith and following are not two different things. They are the same thing. James says that faith without action is dead. Faith without following dies. If you accept the teaching of Jesus, all of His teaching, and you start following the way you should, you will start building that deeper faith that I just described that I think we all want. We all want to follow Jesus. We all want to desire Him more. We all want to passionately lay down our lives for Him more. But we don't have that depth of faith because we don't follow the way we should. And so the faith begins as following, but then the following builds our faith. And so we don't believe to the depth and the way that we want to because we don't follow the way that we should. And so if we were to pay attention to how we follow, then that deeper faith that we want would start to get built. And built on and built on and built on. Jesus says that following means putting Him first. Taking money and sex and entertainment and comfort and retirement and vacations and games and popularity and fashions and success and everything else that we might currently be putting first in our life to fulfill us. Putting all of those things behind Jesus and putting Jesus first. Putting all those things behind Jesus in our life. And as you dismantle the false gods that consume our attention and put Jesus there instead, you will start to believe the way you really want to. You'll start to have that deeper, more profound following faith that you really crave, that I crave. So put Jesus first in your reading time. Read the Bible. Study His Word. Put Him first in your relationship. Pray every single day. Spend time in prayer with Jesus. Put Him first in your motive. As you go through the day, act out in love towards people the way that Jesus would act. If we start to follow Jesus, then our faith will deepen and we'll start to have that belief that we really crave. You put all those things first. Put Jesus first. Give Him the first fruits of everything, not the leftovers. Put Him first in your time. Put Him first in serving His kingdom. Put Him first in your affections. Love Him more than anything 
thing that you love in the world, and that faith deepens. Following and faith are deeply intertwined, and that's what this series has been about. How to follow hard after Jesus. But sometimes we think we're following Jesus, and then we don't spend time reading our Bible, and we, we don't spend time in prayer with Him, and we don't really serve in His kingdom, and, and we, we don't treat people the way that He would treat, be treating them. And so in all the major areas of our life, Jesus isn't first, and then we wonder why we don't have this deep faith and belief and following of Him. And Jesus just says, follow me. Just follow me. Just, just put me first and, and come after me. Put me first in your affections, and that faith and that belief and that closeness with me will come. In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you. And it comes down to whether or not you choose to move from being a fan to a follower. Hebrews 9:27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for Him. Who is Jesus coming to save? Is it rule followers? Does Jesus come to save rule followers? Does Jesus come to save right thinkers? Right? I, I, I figured it out. I got it all sorted out who God is and who Jesus is, and I think rightly about who God is. Is that, is that who He's come to save? Has He come to save moral leaders? Well, I lead a good life. That's who Jesus is coming. He's coming to save those people who are good. No, it's not that. Who does He come to save? Those who are eager for Him. That's who He's coming for. Not fans. Not moral people. Not right thinkers, not rule followers. Jesus is coming for those who are eager for Him. Jesus is enough for His followers. And they eagerly are awaiting for Him. They have Him first in their desire, and everything else is second. And I know that none of us want to be declared fans on Judgment Day. And Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust in Him, He will never fail you. He guarantees that if you stake your life on His message of truth, He will stake His life on your eternity in heaven. Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust and hope in Him alone, and He is enough, He will guide you to an eternity with God the Father. But you have to decide whether you are a fan or you are a follower of Jesus. Because all of those guarantees are for followers. They are for people who are daily laying down their life. Taking all the things that creep up ahead of Jesus and saying, nope, you go back down. Another thing creeps up, no, you go back down. Every day, picking up your cross, dying to yourself and putting your passion and your desire and your earnest love for Jesus ahead of everything else. Those are the followers that earnestly desire Him. And all of those guarantees are for those followers. To whom shall we go, Peter asks. You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One sent from God. If you want a deeper faith in Jesus, then follow Him. If you want to begin your faith in Jesus today, then lay down your false gods, set aside your rebellion and your anger against God, humble yourself, and accept Jesus. Just Jesus. He is enough. And He is everything that you need for eternal life. Let's pray.